This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, Scott Mackey comes by to talk about deconstructing the political system and polishing that turd, which we absolutely go into depths on. And make sure that you check the show description down there for the Patreon, because we do have a little bit of an afterthought that's located over there for our value exchange audience. I also want to point your attention to expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where all things podcasts can be found, but also our original publishing, our publishing house. The journals are linked up over there, getting more and more each day over on Barnes & Noble, which is huge. Uh, All linked over there at the website, guys, as well as the Expanding Reality Excursions events page that we have. And that is going to feature our befriending Bigfoot event that we have coming up May 15th through the 20th. Got a lot of incredibly cool stuff going on there, but I'm not going to go into it on this part of this. We're going to get to this incredibly cool episode with Scott Mackey, but check out expandingrealitypodcast.com slash events for more, all linked below, guys. But without any further ado, Scott Mackey. Scott Mackey, it's an absolute damn pleasure to meet you, my friend. Uh, you are a connection uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Grace McCormick, who will be um, shouted out in the form of a link of our episode on the on the show here down below. So thank you, Grace, so much. Dude, uh, pleasure. I mean, you and I have been sitting here conversating a bit. Of course, uh, this is Kitsmith. Grace always comes with the heat here, and I know she represents a lot of folks, and she's great at what she does. So I mean, this makes the most sense in the world. And so it's really cool to meet you, brother. Now, uh, you and I have been talking. I have a list of uh, information about you, but I always find it's best to introduce yourself in your own words, if you don't mind, my friend. So I'll give you the opportunity to do that now. Beautiful. Brandon, thank you, man. And so I'm grateful and also pleased to be here. So introducing myself, you know, why am I on the show right now? I have a book coming out on February 6th, which in this moment is tomorrow, but will probably be some point in the past by the time this is published. Um, that book is called Love is Not the Answer. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, um, sometime in the next hour or so. I, um, you know, I grew up in rural East Texas, like a fundamentalist Christian. Like many folks, I left the faith. I both found and lost myself in that process as well. I spent a decade working in politics. I spent time working on and in Afghanistan from a policy perspective. Spent a lot of time in business, but I think most important to me in a lot of ways, um, 
you know, like found my way back to God or a version of God through my own processes, my own journeys. Um, and, you know, as you've experienced, that is a healing journey. That's a journey of coming to know self and aligning with self. That's eventually a journey of finding freedom and power. Um, and that is a journey that led me to write a really odd and wonderful, I might add, book eventually that brings the political strands, the spiritual and the religious strands, um, and some more philosophical strands together in this package that we're talking about now, which is love is not the answer and the weird world that we call home right now. This is so great. Again, this is just fascinating, man. Expanding our reality straight out the gate. And I really appreciate that, brother. So again, you guys know how this works. All the ways to find him are going to be located down in the show description. So feel free to go wild. The video version of this, as well as the transcript, are linked down there as well. Invite our audio-only audience to come check that out. Uh, it's free, guys. Transcripts, absolutely free. Go click on that thing. I know it says Patreon. It reads, rather. Just go click on it. Trust me. Uh, you're going to love it. Anyway, uh, so let's um, let's get in here. And there's so many things to start with. But what I'd like, there's so many things to talk about. What I'd, what I'd like to start with is Texans. Are you born and raised out here in Texas? No, I am. So my parents are missionaries. And okay. they, um, you know, mid-80s, they were living on a ship called the Anastasis, which was the first hospital ship in an organization called Mercy Ships. But the Anastasis, they were like a grassroots organization trying to build this global organization of hospital ships nothing like that existed at the time and so their ship was broken down and they were basically living on the beach in hawaii while they were trying to get this ship up and running again when my mom came to and i was born so i was born in honolulu hawaii spent my first two months of life there and then this organization which is called mercy ships they got like land-based sort of thing which was in los angeles so i spent four years in Los Angeles then, and then the organization moved out to rural East Texas. So I was part of this kind of wave or horde of mostly, but not exclusively European missionaries that settled in, you know, like oil and ranching community between Dallas and Shreveport. And then wow. that's where I grew up. That's incredible. I mean, Texas has such an insane history and living here, I'm born and raised, uh, but I'm in yeah. North Texas. I'm at Fort Worth, yeah. Dallas area. Uh, so uh, it's just fascinating, the history here, and let alone it's, you know, Republic and all of those, the stories of, um, I mean, the Texas Rangers and that shit are crazy, man. But the the uh, immigrants here, and I lived down in Houston for like eight years, man, and just the streets yeah. named Westheimer and Kirkendall and all that stuff and mm -hmm. Schlitterbahn and all these things um, in, in these crazy places that you wouldn't think to find on this uh, immigration happening, but it's fascinating to hear it from your perspective from a missionary. So when did you uh, bail out of Texas? When did you figure out you were done with the summers? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I did I did not love growing up in town was called Van in the end. And actually, I, I've made wonderful peace with that place. And I had a pretty good high school experience. But I had a pretty rough actual childhood. So I was hell bent on getting out of there. So I went to college in Oregon. And then after college, um, like I was gonna go into Peace Corps, but then got obsessed with Barack Obama as a lot of folks did around 2007, 2008. And so I ended up working his campaign after I graduated. And then that's what took me to DC eventually. Wow. Um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, DC now? Well, yeah, it's a complex question. You can look at it from a lot of different angles. But, you know, like one, it's a beautiful city. Two, it is a city that attracts a lot of very driven, very ideological high achievers. You know, I'm not someone that is normally going to sit around and, you know, bash DC or the people that end up there by nature. But what it also is, is it's a generally a city of very ideologically driven individuals 
who compromise and they accept that the world is as it is or it is what it is and that they to have an impact in this world are going to have to work within the enormous systems that dictate a lot of our reality. So they're like, if I want to make an impact in the world, if I want to have a life of influence, if I want to gain or accrue actual power, then I have to work within these systems. And so in the end, it's a city full of individuals like the people who stick around who, for better or worse, because there's a real practical logic to making that sort of compromise, but who better or worse have made that decision. I think the challenge when you think about the systems of our world is when you make those compromises and you work within the systems for long enough, invariably, the logic of that system begins to become your logic as well. And so even if you have pure ideals or what we might consider to be great values, um, at the same time, you know, any system and anyone within a system, eventually it works to perpetuate itself. Um, and largely in the form that it's in. So interesting. So what is your conclusion with that fascinating observation that you just you just gave us there? I, DC is a city filled with a lot of really wonderful people, like anywhere. It's also a city that is filled with... It's a city filled with people who are often loyal to the world as it is, the worldviews as they are, because their career is tied up in that. And because they have come to the conclusion that, yeah, this is not me like casting stones here, but they've come to the conclusion that, um, that for them to fulfill their purpose in life, for better or worse, they have to accept the world as it is, and then try to like tweak around the edges. It's fascinating to think that yeah. there's so that that whole culture seems to be and like you said, the go getters, the personalities are there. It just seems to be that they're placed on a hamster wheel. And it's interesting oh. that they're that they are such high driven achievers. But then again, that the that it's kind of handed over as you exactly you put beautifully uh, to a system so that it can run itself for them and it can be spent in, in that way and their battery can be used to that ex to that degree. But it's very interesting when we start seeing what's possible outside of those systems. And you and yeah. I are going to talk about all kinds of stuff, and I know that. So uh, what is your biggest uh, commercial takeaway uh, from that experience? Like you're, you're, you're now, you've, you've seen the beast from the inside, and so do you feel that it can change? Yeah. The beast absolutely can change. The beast will not change on its own, and the beast will not go down quietly. And so, you know, that's that's one of those situations where in the end we we live in a democracy. It is a very imperfect democracy. We can talk about all the ways our political systems and other systems seem to be bought and paid for by big business, by corporations, by billionaires. And that's all true to a degree. But we also live in a country where we have seen over and over again movements of the people, by the people, for the people fundamentally transform how we live or who we are, or how we think about ourselves, the stories that we tell. And so in that sense, it's like, yeah, the beast can change, but it's going to take a hell of a lot of work by people like you and me and millions of other folks who aren't just against these systems that are, but who actively create and imagine alternatives and then do the spiritual work, the emotional work and, you know, the elbow grease type of work to turn those visions into the actual reality. What if those conclusions lead you to burn everything to the ground and start over? I think that is a fair place to end up, but two thoughts on that. One is you can imagine there's consequences when you do that. 
Um, so like right now, if you make that decision for better or worse, that likely means, you know, like a relative crumbling of the global economy, like our way of life as we know it, grocery stores filled with food, et cetera, et cetera, would like cease to be for a period of time, at least. I just want to live on a farm with my friends around me and grow food. So like I kind of get the, um, there's like a romantic, um, there's a romantic way of looking at something like that happening, but that would also cost millions or hundreds of millions of lives around the world. Right. There's like consequences. Um, second piece for that though, is like, I think you can radically change how we experience life without burning everything down. But to do that, we have to risk like the chance that everything does go up in smoke. Right. And I think it's like in a relationship, like with a woman or a man, like a romantic partner for a long period of time, you routinely get to points where you kind of have to risk it all to make the thing work. And a country being in relationship with itself, I think, is not dissimilar in that at times you have to risk it all to make it work because systems are calcified or subjects have not been talked about or misunderstandings have been allowed to go on for too long. And then to write that ship, you have to put all your cards on the table. And I do feel like we are really getting to a point where we've got to put all our cards on the table. One of the challenges would be this to say that we've had our cards on the table, but the problem is, is that what's propping the system up is so fake and not real yeah. and very parasitic in nature that it, if translucified, then that is what would actually crumble everything. Every card being legitimately on the table and things being truly transparent and revealing. Yeah. Well, I got confused in my analogies, I think there and confused you a little bit. No, but no, no, you nailed it. I, nailed I agree it. with your, I agree with your point though. Um, we, so I don't know the numbers behind this, but if we were to think about, I'll ask you this question, like what percentage of the population in the United States right now is at a point where we look around us and we're like, business is in bed with politics, is in bed with media, is in bed with the education system. We are functioning from a worldview that may or may not have made sense 50 years ago, but like certainly does not make sense today because we have seen the cost and the consequences of living separated from the natural environment and turning ourselves into cogs in these enormous industrial and technologically driven machines. We, it's like something different has to happen. Like what percentage of the population is there? It, it, that's a tricky question. I'll answer it in yeah. a few ways. Okay? okay. You can pick which yeah, one you go want. Go for okay. it. Yeah. Because my perception, my reality is that's about 90%. I mean, just simply because that's my reality and that's what I've right. curated. That's that's my experience, right? Now, if we're talking global population, I can't, number one, trust that everybody here is mm -hmm. real. Number two, I can't then trust that uh, the people inhabiting those bodies, based on the conversations I've had, man, this is the world I'm living. Uh, and you, again, take your pick with one of these answers. Uh, based on that information, I would say that perhaps a vast majority of people, based on the Da Vinci quote that there are three classes of people here, those who can see, those who can see when shown, and those who can't see, that the ones who can't see is probably the vast majority, but let's depend, and then that's a conversation, we could splash into what that means. Are they NPCs? Are they you know, just can't see and they're just, they bump up against this intellectual wall, which is then fodder for us, right? So uh, I would say that to answer your question in a way that's palpable to continue your analogy, let's say probably 15%, uh, but I'd say that's even probably pretty squashed because it's 
I think people feel that way a lot more um, mm-hmm. and are getting giving themselves permission more to speak out about that. So that yeah. percentage is increasing every day. I'm going to say 15 to 20 right now. Okay. Yeah. That would be a great number. I don't think it's probably quite that high, but I think that's in the ballpark, right? Like whatever we think in this sense doesn't really matter. But the, you know, like the, the understanding of the world I mentioned a moment ago, where like we see and like really kind of understand how things are crumbling one way or the other. Like that's a pretty comprehensive view someone might have as we look around us. I think that's a fairly small percentage of folks, whether it's five or 15%. I think there's a much larger percentage of, and let's just talk about Americans now, but we can talk about the whole world also. Um, A much larger percentage of folks just, excuse my language, but like they feel like something is fucking wrong. Like our political systems, our economic systems, they work for those at the top, they work for themselves, but they don't work for me. You look at statistics like inequality has been increasing since the 80s. We're minting new billionaires every day. But me and most of the people I know are like living paycheck to paycheck, even if it looks from the outside like we're doing pretty well. Like, I don't know who to trust. I don't trust anybody. Like people feel like something is wrong. But the way that we're oriented for the most part right now, and I think you and I are probably on a different plane and I would imagine a lot of your listeners are, But the way most folks are oriented is as we have these like feelings of anger or anxiety or resentment or frustration, we are finding, but we're also being fed by our political leaders and other leaders, things to be against. I am against Democrats. I am against Republicans. I am against the system. I am against X, Y, or Z. The mainstream media is the problem, this or that. All of those things may be true, but in the end, like being against things doesn't really get us anywhere. Like what we have to do is like people who are growing and maturing is like have these critiques, have this deep understanding of what's going on in the world around us. But then what allows us to burn things down, if that's what we want to do, and then replace it with something is like we have to have the vision of what we're going to replace it with. And so like if I love the quote, like you become what you fight. So if we're sitting here fighting the world, even if we're fighting the world with a different set of values, Like, even if we win, we're going to take the energy of reality as it exists right now into the new world we're hoping to create, and it won't be that new in the end. If we can stop fighting and instead positively, optimistically, as a visionary, create alternatives that we and our community and eventually larger numbers of people can opt into, we're not burning something down. We're creating a new reality that is going to fundamentally transform the world as it exists in ways we can dream of, but don't entirely understand and can't predict. What major changes do you see being different in the structure at that point? Yeah. One, I don't know exactly. I can sit here and say, if I was King, this is how I would design the world. I think it's, you know, this is like, it's hard to control big systems. Even when we think these systems are being controlled around us, like we're being controlled through inertia built up by a million small things that have happened over decades, not necessarily by like a single genius or a set of geniuses at the top, like really strategically pulling strings. Um, it's inertia is the biggest enemy um, that has been building building up in ages. But if I was king, like we, function in a world that comes from this materialist worldview. There's no like nature is natural resources. Our emotions aren't safe to feel. We are not spiritual beings who have access 
to any type of spirit realm. We raise our kids to be obedient and loyal and fill a role in a job. We have responsibility to ourselves, but not to our community around us. Um, like there's all these stories tied into, I think, how the world that we see and we're often so frustrated by has come to be. And so when I think about changes that I would want to make, it actually comes back to starting what is like, what is the philosophy or the worldview or the story or the narrative that would undergird building a new reality? Like, how can I apply that in my own life? And how can we start to apply that collectively? And it's something like weave into the story through the whole thing. But for me, it comes back to connection. Like if we live in a world separated and because we are so separated, it's what allows us to do so much harm to ourselves and to the natural world. The answer is connection. And the connection starts with connection to and knowing like self and not all the voices, but you know, the piece behind the voices that is like the self sitting within comes with our ability to connect with neighbors, with the natural world, with the force or the source or whatever it is that you call God, a modern concept of oneness effectively. And so as I start to like think like, what does a different world look like? It really starts with something of a spiritual or a psycho emotional revival, not a religious revival, but like a true revival of like something new that takes the synchronistic knowledge that is coming together where science is meeting like, you know, our ancient spiritual traditions and we weave something new out of that. And once we do that, then it's like, okay, if this is how we see the world, how are we going to build systems of governance that respect this like oneness mindset or oneness reality? And yeah, we're going to have to make compromises to build anything and people are going to have to wield power, but let's hope we've created a world where like we're actually working from the same playbook. So even if we disagree with someone, like we respect where they're coming from and we understand and we've like raised people that can wield power with integrity. And so then at that point, like I really didn't answer your question, apologies, but like we can talk about all the ways we want the world to be different, but I really think it won't be that much different until like we really have a new story or an interrelated set of stories that change how we see ourselves and how we see each other. It answered it perfectly because it was an honest answer from the heart and where you were inspired to go with the answer. And to that, I would I would say a couple of things that I've learned on the show here, most recently from a guy named Frank Jacob. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, it's important to make the ground safe enough, safe for your ideas. Uh, it's important to make the ground safe for your ideas. Mm -hmm. And in that, then, I'm also reminded of a quote from Bill Hicks. Uh, Bill Hicks, comedian, absolutely wonderful, brilliant uh, dude. Uh, rest you, brother. Uh, <laughs> this dude came up with this uh, bit about how whenever a new president is deemed president, they're led into a dark, smoke-filled room uh, on a table there and shown a, a vantage point of the Kennedy assassination, assassination from a vantage point mm -hmm. never seen, right? So it's this idea of, you know, um, the, the whole rework. And so it's interesting to think that we can, you know, go in almost and use the same buildings, you know, um, yeah. but the whole damn system, this idea of a smoke filled room, it needs to be replaced maybe with the hookahs, right? Yeah. Uh, we could fill it with a different kind of smoke and uh, encourage people to really go outside the box with their ideas. And so how 
do the systems blend? What does the Vesica Pisces look like there? Because that's a, I mean, we're into this, uh, you know, Pluto's in Aquarius right now, and that's a destructive ass. I mean, we can absolutely talk about that. Last time was American Revolution, I think French Revolution as well. So it's a revolution for sure. And yeah. this idea of an apocalypse, which is just an unveiling. Um, and, you know, I've got a lot of uh, new information I'm learning about the government as well with the sort of word magic by Pao Chang. If you're familiar with this work. I'm not, no. Okay, dude, I'll uh, send you a, I'll send you a link for it. It's badass, yeah. yeah. And um, it's just this whole idea of, uh, Jordan Maxwell's been saying it forever. I mean, that there's mm -hmm. a, a parasitic government over this thing that has to do with your birth certificate. And I'm sure we're going to talk about freedom and sovereignty. But the question really is, is how do we make the ground safe for our ideas? How do mm -hmm. we take that idea of, well, even if we elect somebody that looks good on camera or whatever, and we can get them through this two-party system, which seems to be the way. I mean, again, that when you look at that road, it's so ridiculous to think that that's the direction that we're going to go. So what do you think about that? How do we make the ground safer our yeah. ideas? So to get a little wonky to start with, um, it's like, you know, we're talking about like heart work. How do we build a new world based on people being different? That's based on the uh, politics reflect society, society reflect the people within it. So let's have a revolution of the heart and then that will change everything else. So that can be part of the puzzle. That's the big picture. That's probably long-term, but something like that, you just discover it's happened all of a sudden because it's been silently building and like we can pray that time is coming because we both live in worlds where it seems like that's all that's going on. Even though like we know that's not the case if we look more broadly around us. But like if we get wonky, it's like we can reform our electoral system we can have what seem like pretty small asks that make the ground far safer and create space for like new ideas and independent voices and third parties. And so like a first piece of that puzzle is we're in a winner take all democratic system right now. If we move towards some combination of reforms that have names like open primaries and rank choice voting and proportional representation, electoral systems that are all in place in different parts of the world, that doesn't solve every problem at once. It doesn't even solve any single problem immediately, but it does create plausible rapid routes for independent voices that aren't associated with loyal to or within either the Republican or the Democratic Party to begin having a voice on the national or the federal scale. That doesn't change everything at once, but that like that's a seed that can be sown as we like seek systemic reform. And there's a lot of organizations and people doing work on that issue who would think you and I were absolutely crazy people, the way we have conversations and what we're doing. I mean, like there's substantive work going on on that issue. And then the second piece is around money and politics. You know, like we've always been a big system and a big money game, but since um, Citizens United in 2008, when McCain-Feingold was overturned, it has opened the tap for dark anonymous money in our political system. And there are real, consequences for that and we can get into kind of you know just the practical reality of how the system works and how finances work within campaigns and with electeds both when they're in office and then once they get out of office and it may or may not be that interesting but like it's a dark world there's going to be several billion dollars spent on this like on all of the federal elections in 2024 that most of it we're not going to know exactly where it came from and if you look at polling in the U.S., the bulk of our population, Republican and Democrat, support putting like real substantive like caps and rules around 
how we raise and spend money within politics. And it's actually really simple. We just need to limit all regulations and spending for like super PACs, 501c4s, and similar the same way we do it for candidates. And if we do that, then you're like limiting any organization or person's donation around $10,000 and nothing is anonymous. And again, that doesn't solve every problem of the entire world, but that kneecaps special interests, powerful forces, billionaires, corporations, associations, ability to buy both our electeds and the system electing them so efficiently at such a high level. Two pieces, but like you get those two in place and that actually like really changes the look and feel of our system. It's interesting, man. It's just some people would consider that polishing a turd, you know, and some oh. people just want it all fucking burned to the ground, yeah. like get it out of here. Cause then they'll, well, some people would say, just playing the every yeah. side here, man, we're just having a conversation uh, to take that money then that you're saving on not mm-hmm. doing that, then in, invest it in a way to beat the new system, right? And yeah. so it's it's interesting again, just when we when we think about this, and yes, the democracy element to this, but you know, a republic um, is an interesting idea as well. And and so they're just fascinating topics around which um, this conversation is centered. And I'm grateful for that. I want to talk about your book, but you did uh, mention something about voices in your head. And so, are you ready to take the conversation to that kind of level yet? Yeah, let's have fun. <clears throat> okay, so uh, conversations in your head are an interesting one, and voices there are fascinating. So my question is is trust, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you know what to trust, who to trust, uh, what which voice to go, mm-hmm, and which voice to go, uh, no, thank you, fuck off, yeah. Yeah. I never know exactly. I don't know about you, but it's, you know, it's the um, the difference between, like, talking to or listening for the voice of God or spirit and having like a spark of insight or receiving a mission in that process. And then like, you know, grasping that in your teeth and relentlessly pursuing it. And, you know, like being a person and an individual of trust, surrendering and like going to the wall and hearing the voice of ego wrapped around something very similar. In the end, it's like, for us, that's like judgment and wisdom those voices are going to sound very, very similar, like when we're hearing them in our mind, right? So I always try, like whenever subjects of God or entities or similar come up, my stance is always just to maintain as much humility as possible. And I think that can and should be true for most pieces of life because none of us ever see everything. And reality is often dictated by the beliefs we have around it, truly. Um, And disagreeing with someone doesn't make them wrong or bad in the end. So like try to bring humility to the idea of like listening to the voice of God. Um, but yeah, at the same time, like that happens, especially if you are someone that meditates or you're someone that prays or you spend time either recreationally or in very serious ceremonial, ceremonial settings, eating mushrooms or drinking ayahuasca or, you know, pick your plant medicine of choice you quickly end up in a very complex world of energy and spirit. I think like energy is spirit to a large degree. We see energy like when we look, you know, like energy is what moves ideas around our brain. When you have a great idea, your brain lights up with energy. When you have a feeling that's expressed, energy comes out. If you have a feeling that's not expressed, you feel it like tied up in your body. Um, It's stuck energy. That is what becomes trauma. That is what then we call 
voices in our head that are derived from trauma. And that's what a lot of indigenous populations will call like a spirit voice in their head telling them to do something wrong or bad. It's different interpretations around energy based on the different stories we believe and how we understand the world in different ways. But here's the thing. If you're not listening, that doesn't mean you're not hearing. It just means you're not acknowledging what is there. That's something that's always such a valuable conversation because like we have deep and profound intuition. I can sense you energetically through the screen, even though we've never talked in person. Um, that is part of who we are. That's part of how people are wired. We know ideas often come to us that don't feel like they come from within us. You atheists have different words for that than an individual that is spiritual. But you know, like we're always referring to these same um, like the same phenomenons in a variety of different ways. But if we're pretending they're not happening, then we are handicapping ourselves as individuals and handicapping ourselves as like a society because we're ignoring one, a fundamental reality of what it means to be a person and two, arguably ignoring our greatest power or source of power. What is your worldview at this place? What do you think our life experience is all about? Like, what do you think uh, we're here to do and all that good stuff? Man, I don't have an excellent, cohesive, big picture answer to that question. And I changed my mind. But I think that we're here to experience life. And experiencing life means working to experience the fullness of what is available to us as a soul or a spark of the divine, not trapped in, but living within this body for the 20 or the 80 or the 110 years that like we're lucky enough to be here. And as you know, like the breadth of human experience can be profoundly wide. It can be like so small and narrow and it can be constricting and fearful. And a lot of us are wired that way, or it can be expansive and we can discover that our consciousness is not trapped within this head and this body, but that we can explore from states of mind that are drug and sober induced. And we discover that we can touch and actually like feel unconditional love. And in doing so, we grasp a way of existing that we can work and try to learn how to facilitate in the rest of our life. Mm -hmm. But we also learn really quickly that evil and violence is a core part of the human experience as well. And what we call evil might be really different from person to person, again, based on our beliefs and our stories, how we have framed this world. Um, so yeah, I think we are here to experience life. We all have an opportunity to get more and more towards love, to find the freedom and the power and the compassion that comes with that or goes with that. But also realizing, I don't think a utopia exists where if, you know, all six or seven billion of us that live on this earth right now spent a month in, you know, 10 hours of loving kindness meditation a day, every day that we would come out of that experience and just have one shared view for what people needed to do moving forward. We would be changed. And then we'd start fighting like cats and dogs on how we were going to implement some version of a new vision that we did have. I just would like us to fight from 
a perspective that acknowledges the spiritual and energetic reality of who we are. And that has real place for like love in the like unconditional expressed form that, you know, you and I have both experienced when we somehow go like touch the energy of creation and meditation or with plant medicines or similar. Have you had any uh, freaky woo-woo contact, as they say, paranormal experiences, UFO, uh, Bigfoot, Chupacabra, even uh, anything like that outside of psychedelics or meditation? I have. My experiences in that regard tend to show up less as what I would call entities than like overwhelming feelings of like presence and connection. But I think more to that point, like I have sat with a lot of people when they're like deep in those experiences and communicated with or through them largely, you know, like would call beings or entities that are sitting on a different dimension and have had the most remarkable conversations in those periods of time. And it's a conversation where you just know, like you're not really just talking to the person that is sitting in front of you. And you don't understand how and why that's happening. Um, And, you know, this isn't necessarily happening with like any ingested substance either. Uh, And you're just like, well, I don't understand this. I don't understand a lot of things, but this is fascinating and it's clearly happening. Um, Hell yeah. Just embrace it and say yes, huh? I don't know any other way to go about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I've got a lot of questions, man. How old are you, by the way? Uh, 38. Okay. Have you gone through your like dark night of the soul Pluto square yet? Are you familiar with what that any of that shit means? More, I astrology is not my strength. Okay. But I've not studied it. it Hang like, on there, because my wife will uh, not be happy if I don't get your shit before, and we'll okay. we'll check your chai if, with your permission. She yeah, she's really that. into it right now. She's taking Ksenia Moore's class, so she's crushing okay. it. She's found some fascinating things out. My point is, mm-hmm. is I man had this massively optimistic view of this place like fucking mm-hmm. everything's gonna work out we're all one yeah. um unity consciousness self-experiencing itself subjectively all these things and mm-hmm. then and acknowledging evil yeah 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 but it, it doesn't happen to me right uh you know or, or bypassing the own the real fucked up shit that has happened to me and, and framing it in a different way so um it's interesting on the other side of what I would call this dark night of the soul or this Pluto square that occurred on 41. So it's right around, you're right around the sweet spot, man. So you either have already had it or uh, I think you would know, but, or you're right up on it. So again, we'll talk. But the point yeah. of that is, is that on the other side of that, cause it was, it drug me through the darkness, um, like mm-hmm. hard. And it just does this for folks. It's where the term uh, midlife crisis comes in, right? It is a right. fucking crisis. And so some people buy new cars, or go fuck their secretary or whatever. So, uh, all these interesting things have to do with this time period in life to where you really get a different perspective. Do you see something like that coming into your life? If that's what's occurring, I'm not giving you a coloring book, coloring yeah. it in for you. Okay. But do you think that something like that, that could take you out of the perspective you have right now and even offer you a perspective of a prison planet to where it does shift you and rock you so much to where you do sort of start seeing this thing, like you're trapped here. Um, archons are feeding on your energy they want bad energy and that's why the bad shit's here have you gone down that soul trap idea i have read about that soul trap idea more than i've like experienced that specifically myself Mm -hmm. i've you know i had five years ago you know like had a breakdown where it felt you know like 
like one, my world was coming apart Two, you know, you discover you are disgusted by who you are, who you've become, and you're not quite sure how you got there. Yeah. And you are forced to begin re-examining everything because you have lost faith and trust in all of the things you had put faith or trust in. Um, but you know, I, the worst and the deepest like depression I've experienced was as like a small child. I was a, call it a self-harming seven, eight year old, you know, like sticking fingers in sockets, cutting myself, had to get taken out of school sort of thing. And so, you know, I feel like I've been built from a darkness in that sense, but I have not, I think, been through what you were discovering. I've sat with a lot of veterans in medicine ceremonies who have been through a type of like despair and darkness and desperation that far eclipses my own. Um, I have been with individuals who experience like horrific and terrible sexual trauma who are talking rape or similar or come from horribly and wildly abusive backgrounds of a whole variety of sorts. And what I've seen with them is one, not everybody comes through that Two, that so many of them do and they can. And on the back end of the darkness or the despair, the back end of like being at a point where one is considering taking your life, that there is love on the other side of that. There is the potential for peace. There is an ability to find and grasp onto the beautiful pieces of life that are not always beautiful. And doing that does not mean ignoring all of the dark pieces or parts. It doesn't mean it's not real. It does mean in the end that we, to some degree, have a choice, I think, what we're able to like facilitate or create in our life. And that our actions and the choices we make and how we search and seek have a lot to do with getting there or not. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's just perception, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, uh, it's just like the people who say in school, right? High school, oh, high school was hell. It was such a fucked up experience. I hated it. Some people still wear their high school ring and their letter jacket and say they peaked there and had a great time, you know? Yeah. So either way, though, you learn and you're growing. So, you know, this is uh, perspective is often, you know, balanced. But again, I like to ask the questions for folks who are, who are very yeah. uh, invested in the idea, which is beautiful, man. Because again, I'm, I'm looking forward to this balancing pendulum. I'm swinging back. I'm swinging back. But yeah. uh, there, there are interesting conversations still to be had about it. it. So I just take the advantage whenever I can with whoever I'm with yeah. right now. Well, no, um, give me your perspective, though. Like your listeners are probably more familiar with it, but I, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts in preparation for this. Um, like this didn't specifically come up, but I'm really curious. Yeah, it's uh, it's just on the other side of this darkness, man. And again, you know, let's let's definitely talk after this because it's an interesting yeah. thing and I'll be here every step of the way. OK, uh, if that is what you're facing. So uh, it was just an interesting thing. I recommend everybody check check where your Pluto mm -hmm. is squaring in your chart. Uh, and that's just kind of a thing that I recommend now. Because with some mental preparation and with some really some just preparation, you start doing some different kinds of work and you will get through it no problem. Now, I'm a special case because I was drugged through this cosmic gangbang, as it were. Uh, our astrologer, um, Ksenia Moore, said it's not the worst chart I've ever seen, but it's very close. All right. And so I was yeah. like, great. And so take that into consideration as well. So I could be, you know, just being a little bitch about it. But really what it is, um, is that it gave me this hard 90 degree perspective. And in all of that, I found Howdy Mikowski. Are you familiar with his work? 
I'm not, no. I, he kept getting recommended over and over and over, like for like a year and a half, right? And finally, I like go through this shit. I get all these interesting ideas in my head. Somebody just hit me over the head with, oh my God, Howdy Mikowski, whatever. And so I reached out, got two of his books, read them like crazy, and was just like, holy shit. And what this has to do with this, this soul trap idea, this sort of, it explains and fills in this energetic need for things to be shitty here. Because I've got a lot of issues, you know, one of the biggest things that I departed from religion was is because they couldn't answer these simple questions like why, you know, simple whys yeah. in my mind, the contradictions in the Bible, and then the pastor sitting there telling me uh, to my face in front of everyone embarrassing me that saying that that is the only book in existence. And I should know that it never contradicts itself. I've got a list of things that would uh, argue otherwise, sir, but my six year old oh. version of me that got, you know, berated in, in front of everybody didn't know that. So anyway, mm -hmm. uh, the whole point is, is questions, right? And when we get to this real deep part, this meta, this fucking what is going on here, the philosophy of it, yes, but the philosoph the philosophical implications go beyond the the per the perceivables. And that's where I find my toughest challenge is when you step out into this void of this uh, possibilities and potentialities, but then you reach a limit of your provability and your ability to interpret the information around you to make it viable for either either one to be certain, right? And these mm -hmm. are core fundamental things. We're talking flat earth versus round earth, you know, uh, simulation versus organic or whatever. Is there a God? Is there not? Is the God that everybody's praying to a good God? Is the place set up to be what it's supposed to be? Because in the mm -hmm. Bible, if you look at it, uh, you can find tons of scripture actually that says that the God in the Bible is Satan. And it's fascinating. It's like a cliffhanger at the end in Revelation. It says Satan, you know, deceived the whole world, right? And so Satan yeah. was the murderer from the beginning and he's got a huge, God's got the kill count in the Bible. So anyway, it's interesting when you start looking at these from this perspective. And I've gotten just really to an interesting uh, point to where, I don't know. I mean, it could be so, yes, you do absolutely encounter a soul trap. Uh, it could be absolutely, yes, you're a divine spark and you're learning here. I've got some issues with the fact that I don't retain memories that would be useful, like gravity or like that's the snake's bite, you know, shit like that. Mm -hmm. Like like things that I would like to retain lifetime to lifetime. A nice, um, you know, technique for cutting paper, you know, like something, something like I could just be like, oh shit, I got this. But it's interesting that you need to relearn so damn much. It's again, interesting with the near death experiences that report the same information. They come back, you could then view that as they're an agent for the matrix. They get people to go to the light, all this kind of shit, man. So again, you can find like this evenly stacked deck on either side of these absolutely plausible things. Now, I don't feel that any action is required on my part, right? So then you kind of get to this point to where, well, if there's so many questions here, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think here's the thing. They're both right. Yeah. And there's no certainty of ground either of them it's like mad right if we're <laughs> fucking looking for like clear certainty i you know i had realm of on. spirit and even our purpose like we're going to chase our tails and desperation and frustration from the moment as a six-year-old you start asking the questions that the like adults in your life can't answer because they can't allow themselves to be honest about it yeah. until you as an 80 something year old man like lose the ability to coherently rage against the lack of certainty anymore. I love it. And I don't so want to like, be that old though. You yeah. know, I, I want to be okay with being uncertain. You know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that that's the pendulum swing that I'm on here that I'm pumped about really. Man, there's an enormous amount of peace to be found in being okay with uncertainty. I think that's yeah. almost like table stakes for being able to, you know, maintain some semblance of quote unquote sanity um because if we if we are looking for certainty what you end up is either 
desperate because you can't find it, or you create a religion that tries to create certainty through beliefs and dogma and doctrine around a force that can never be entirely, maybe even like barely understood with our minds and with our conception of the world. Pass. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what's happened with religion and what I was doing in it and what the pieces of like beauty and truth are there, but also like how it gets so warped, how something that's supposed to be so beautiful is like so routinely used for like darkness. But it's easy to see that. And it's easy to see how it's useful as that. Us for us. It's easy to see how it's useful. It's not easy to see for a lot of folks who are in it. But then the question is, is how do you know that the perspective you have now isn't useful for you now, but useful for someone else more because it keeps you in some darkness, essentially. And by certainty or by asking questions in a deeper Mm -hmm. level, you would know, I suppose, a little bit better way to how to navigate this place. Because as I swing back the pendulum, I say, okay, well, if this is a system of energetic harvest, right, and they're harvesting negative energy, what if we turn the volume up and just grew the energies over there that were positive, right, and just force fed them positive energy and made Mm -hmm. them adapt and terraform them to that energy if there is this sort of relationship going on to where one system feeds the other as above so below if everything's a food source for something else here needs energy from something else to Mm -hmm. continue on right then it would it would say that that's what's going on now i think that with that perspective of people get to the archons or the demiurge or this prison planet idea they'll stop there and hang out and be pissed about it and you talked about this earlier about the things in politics and all that where they'll just hang out there and then nothing actionable comes from it right Mm-hmm. And so we're asking the questions to take the next actionable step with this. And I think getting to the point to where you see this is all subjective, dude. I, I, I really have an argument, a strong argument against, uh, against consensus reality altogether, that we're in anything like the same place at all. And so it, because our perceptions are so varied, no two experiences would be the same. But then you run into the challenge of like, well, then why does God want to experience what rape and all that shit is constantly, right? Like how many times you, does God need to know what the slaughter and genocide of millions of people are like if that's what's occurring again so it it runs you down all these interesting philosophical rabbit holes it's wild man yeah like i don't think god is anything like what we think god is especially if we come from a religious background yeah Yeah. like like one i don't know but like in experiencing god or what one might call god in so many different ways including when i you know didn't believe like for a very long time but like really like god is a force right and i think that like it's an energetic force it's a logic that underlies like the the plane of existence that we can see and all the planes of existence we mostly don't see but can occasionally see or sense and it's just like very fucking complicated very obscure if we're trying to see it clearly like god does not have morals or values the way we do which is terrifying for us which is absolutely terrifying (laughs) there is like deep profound gooey knee shaking love that is available in this world and we can find that and experience that and we can choose if we wish to try to like orient our life around that but you know like most people who would talk about that, including myself, are also like, 
we need to connect with nature. We need to be balanced with the natural world that we came from. We are a part of this greater whole. We are all one. How do we live in balance? It's like, yeah, but you know, nature is vicious. Fuck yes. I told you about this. Somebody was like, yeah, yeah I want to live in nature. I'm like, dude, they eat like chimpanzees will eat baboons asses like while they're still alive screaming. Yeah. Like, dude, what are you talking about? I don't want to blend with that kind of nature. Everything is food. Yes. And life comes from death universally especially if you know if we're think like looking at the animal world the plant world can sometimes look a little bit softer and make more sense but even then it's like you grow and you shed and you decompose and you become nutrients to grow and shed again and you know like all versions of plant life are going through that cycle endlessly and so that that's god and right? i don't mind being and, deciduous at all yeah. i don't mind the no. i don't mind it at all. I love being deciduous. I don't want to be an Impala when the lion comes though. That well, and if I am like, let's form a relationship. Let's find out, you know, let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's connect, you know, cause I wouldn't mind connecting with my farmer, you know, who's farming yeah. off me. What is their motivation? How can I, mm-hmm. you know, connect with them in a way that it's mutually beneficial if that's what's occurring. And mm-hmm. uh, if there's some adjustment needed on their part, I'm declaring sovereignty for that to be, or they could swap me out mm-hmm. for another, whatever. It's, it's just this sort of declaration of sovereignty. And so that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Freedom and sovereignty. What does that mean to you? Yeah. Those are a couple of terms or words that I spend a lot of time thinking about because I am fascinated by how many different ways people use those words or interpret them. Uh, I mean, like we both live in the U.S. We're both in Texas. Like for a lot of the folks in the world around us that we live in, freedom means access to guns and being able to do whatever they want on their land. And there's like this whole culture around some idea of freedom that I think is largely imaginary. (laughs) Um, But it's really there and it like feels really strong and real. And then there, you know, in the spiritual world, there is the idea of freedom and sovereignty that is incredibly popular. And there are individuals who want or demand the right to opt out of all of these broken systems that we see around us um, and create something new or to be doing something new. What I get so interested in though is like so many of the freedom sovereignty folks that I know, like down here in Austin, the, big new age community, right? Um, What they really want to do is they want to excel and dominate within the world as it exists right now. So they can do whatever the fuck they want, um, living a very good life built off of global cold chain and supply chains and food at the door. And, you know, we can door dash anything and everything, et cetera, et cetera. We want sovereignty within that and we want to talk about burning it all down or creating like some sort of alternatives. But in the end, if we did burn it all down and we didn't all die in the process, so there were still humans around and enough of us where we were going to, you know, live in like a complex scenario of like complex social scenarios, we would have to build new systems. And if we ended up in a world like we're a freedom or sovereignty seeking person and we discovered that all the systems of the world that we rely on were gone, like we would be miserable. And so like I often, so often find when I'm in these conversations, it's like, 
we want freedom or sovereignty, but in the end, like what we're looking for is meaning in something new that we then could or might become loyal to. So I think so often when people are talking about freedom or sovereignty, what they're talking, I got lost in this conversation, but like, what they're looking for is alignment. Like we want to belong. We want to have something to be loyal to. We want to find purpose within it. We just feel alienated with what we have. Um, but like when the rubber meets the road, it's really scary thinking about like what life would look like if it did all burn down. Don't meet many folks are like really into that idea. Once you get 30 minutes into the conversation, thinking about it because like burning it all down really would mean burning it all down. I could see it lighting our way. It could. It's terrifying though. Um, yeah. But if I only looked at what wasn't scary, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I'm very proud of where absolutely. I'm at because I was able to shine a light mm -hmm. and even burn some things to the ground that were terrifying and choke old versions right. of me out while I tearfully did mm -hmm. so, you know, knowing that that version couldn't come with me, meaning right. that like, you know, perhaps like the things that we find within the system. And what's interesting is I'm on the, I'm in such a position as to where a lot of folks are, are building the systems that we're saying uh, will obsolete mm -hmm. the other and choosing into those systems. I uh, right. got an invite to partake in a quantum chat thing, uh, Robert Grant's deal that he's doing. And so I'm now on board with this like quantum encrypted chat deal. And so there are so many alternatives to what's going on now. And um, I think very few uh, that I could vouch for, uh, I can't vouch for any of this stuff, but are doing things that would compromise the morality or boundaries to do it. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things found within the system. And I've been doing a ton of research uh, since having um, quite a few folks on that do this. I'm uh, part of a sovereignty group. Quite a few of them mm -hmm. are based in Austin. Yeah. Don't agree with every 100% of anyone's yeah. philosophy on anything. But what I can say is that even in the literature of our constitution, uh, the UCC codes, things like this, there are obvious references to all of the humans living mm -hmm. here as commodities, as you, know, you are absolutely traded absolutely. on the stock market. So there are incentives for that illusion to continue. And mm -hmm. what we're talking about is opting out of that system and withdrawing right. our energy from it. It's sort of like if you find out, um, you know, somebody's really big into pedophilia and you're just not mm -hmm. going to support that company anymore. So you just don't do that. Um, there are a lot of things going on within the government I'm not a big fan of. And I've had this burning feeling that something's not right here and that I'm not, I'm kind of here, but not from here kind of thing. I'm just yeah. passing through. And this seems to be one of the more viable options that as it burns to the ground, mm -hmm. I'm not um, tossed in the fire along with it. So what do you think? Right. As you phrase that, I think that sounds right. Like opt out and build alternatives. That's it. You just That's opt it. out and withdraw your yeah. energy. Yeah. Withdraw your energy. I think there's just like I support and feel within that 100%. There's and in a world that like one sees or feels is like burning, collapsing, perhaps like opting out, building alternatives and waiting for what comes next. Like I respect, um, and I, I don't mean waiting in a passive sense, like you're opting out and you're building and it's like, we're going to be here when what comes after comes after. Um, I think my sense within that is that, you know, short of like complete breakdown, which could happen. 
And there are reasons that I fantasize about that happening. Like short of complete breakdown happening, we are living in a world where the large systems as they are, are calcifying our frame. They have to be reformed and renewed and they will be in the end because they're just not working for people. But it's most likely they get replaced by new systems that also are capable of maintaining some semblance of order and governance within a large, very complex society. Like politics in the end is just a process of how we make the rules we want to live by. And that process, like any process, can be co-opted, but like, we're always playing politics of some sort. So if the, the, unless we end up living in a world where there are not large systems that come next, um, I think it's, sorry about that. My perspective just ends up being, it's very important to be engaged in thinking about what a next large system might look like and how we can build ones that incentivize actual freedom, incentivize real human sovereignty, recognize that we are energetic, emotional, spiritual beings, and, and still manage to create some semblance of rules and order that give us the structure that we need to thrive within it. But do we need rules and order to strive? Or do you think that the rules and order is what have kept us from thriving? And coming together as a true community, feeling yeah. that large systems were the only answer when perhaps it's not sustainable as we've seen in history time and time again, and perhaps mm -hmm. it's going to naturally entropy as it calcifies, and that maybe think, smaller systems would be the better way to go. I think smaller systems would be a better way to go, hands down. Um, I also believe that we do always have to have rules. We make rules, even if we're making rules about the absence of rules. Our lives are governed by agreements and there are agreements that you have with yourself and there are agreements you have with your spouse or partner. There are agreements that you have with your children or your neighbors. The smaller the communities we live in or the more geographically diverse communities that we live in, the less interconnected communities that we live in, the fewer rules that we need, the more connected we are the more reliant we are on each other, the more one person's actions have the ability to harm or impede another person, the more rules that like we end up making, I think, invariably. But rules um, inevitably impede, right? Because I, uh, you yeah, know, it depends on how- And rules and structure create freedom. Like you- to A type of freedom, right? Because then yeah. any, any rule to somebody else would be a complete restraint, right? Like, you, mm -hmm. uh, hey, everybody, we're not using denim anymore because there turns out right. uh, it's horrible for everything. Well, dude, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm Canadian, Canadian tuxedoing it out here, bro. You know, that's my look. I only so. wear jeans. But can you imagine a world where you are not homesteading effectively, where there are, and where you are interacting with other people routinely? where there are not rules that in some way will incentivize them to act in a certain way or to not act in other ways. Yeah, uh, you just yeah. honor sovereignty, that's it. Everybody's sovereignty to property, uh, everybody's sovereignty to life, everybody's sovereignty yeah. to do what they want. Um, there's, there's clear emotional um, maturity that will occur with a generation mm -hmm. or two of folks who grow up with something like that. I don't yeah. think with 
what we have now, it's going to be instantly roll out a bull. But I think what conversations like this definitely do is invite us into, mm. you know, just an understanding of something greater than perhaps what was presented. And that's that's what's beautiful about this, Scott, is you and yeah. I can just sit here, we can talk, uh, we can have an awesome conversation about just really, really interesting things moving forward. Because it's a fascinating time to be alive, man. And mm -hmm. um, the astrology right now is fascinating. And so again, I want to check your stuff out, yeah. if you'll let me. I, I want to yeah. ask you about energy. And this is something that we've touched on just a little bit here. You brought it up. But also this idea of, again, taking our energy out of that big system and then putting it into ourselves, putting it into our community, tending our own garden, as it were. Right. And it seems that things like that will stop, uh, you know, the massive CIA drug and people trade and all these sorts of things that we would see as very beneficial to us. But it would then inevitably trickle down to the system because we, what we'd like to do is work with people who are morally viable from our standards, which have to do with human sovereignty, right? And it's a very mm -hmm. clear-cut sovereignty. That's it. So uh, what do you think that looks like, your energy and just withdrawing it? And and then, because again, there are people I know that right now, if the energy was taken out of folks spending $21 on Netflix or whatever it is a month, which, um, you know, that's the niece of Edward Bernays, the founder of... <clears throat> of um, Propaganda. Uh, and so if you would to reallocate that energy to a couple of the folks that I know who are building these massive platform systems for folks that would really change the world here, all yeah. it is is a plug out of energy and a plug into that. Now, the only yeah. downside of that is less kid, kids get trafficked and shit. So, I mean, that's the only negative I can see with, with taking the energy that we've been putting into things that we've been having a misguidance under what their true motives their intentions and activities really are. Maybe it's in all that thing that you read, you know, where you click agree and you just scroll past it real quick. It's like, yeah, we're selling kids like tons, you know, and all that shit. And you're just like, yeah, I want to, I want to see the season of fly, firefly or whatever. Anyway. So that's sort of my uh, question. There's about your energy, man. And um, you know, what do you think about that? Energy. It's like focus and priorities. That's true for like an individual. That's true for us collectively. Where we direct that and how we direct that becomes like the driving energy that's directing us where we go collectively. Give a concise answer for once. Um, <laughs> You'd be crushing it the whole time. I'm I think that's you. like fairly simple and straightforward in that regard, right? It's you like, nailed it and it's beautiful. I mean, because that's what it is. Your attention's your currency, right? That's what you have mm -hmm. the opportunity to spend here, not money. Money's yeah. bullshit. It's a form of energy, but it's easily manipulated. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, currency is actually just trust at this point in time. It's fascinating. Um, we'll just start trading seashells again, dude. You know, that'd be an absolute dream. That is his FRNs. Let's do it. If I could Let's live on a there. coast with a canoe, a lot of fishing, some milk cows around, and a refrigerator that worked, yeah, it would just be over that, the top. That's the thing is that we don't, we're not going to burn down like modern conveniences yeah. and the ability for you to get DoorDash. We'll just make sure yeah. that every one in every 20 orders is in a human being. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all Taco Bell, right? It's not, no, nothing fucked up going on, man. Taco Bell can go, but. We, I live in a place where we don't get any of that shit. We don't get deliveries yeah. of any kind. So, yeah. I, I'm forgetting the town. Are you I out near Salina? It. One more time. Are you out near Salina? Uh, no, we're north uh, Fort Worth. Uh, so Dallas, Fort Worth, and then okay. we're west of Fort Worth, like by um, okay. Millsap, by Weatherford. Okay, so gotcha. we're out there, dude. Our population's yeah, like a thousand people, something like that. We're yeah. an incorporated little city. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. We've been out here eight years. It'll be nine this year. 
Excellent. Yeah, I am. Um, Freedom. I can walk out of my house right now and shoot a gun, and I love it, by the way. Get the, I don't know if I can it. talk about this, so I won't use any names, but it was out a piece of land outside of Austin on uh-huh. Saturday. Uh-huh. And there were two Tesla Cybertrucks there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are, um, like, they're bulletproof. How'd the windshields hold up? So we only shot a door, an oh. AR-15. And they all went, and it's not, in theory, it's not, I guess, bulletproof to an AR-15, which we kind of figured out after the fact. But, like, five, five, went straight through into the dash. It starts smoking. It was <laughs> awesome. Not my Cybertrucks. But it was Okay, awesome. Texas, right? I know. Yeah, That's Texas. A lot of fun. All right. Doing Texas things. Yeah. We're... Well, my man, uh, we're going to cap it on this one, dude, but we're going to invite you back for so many more things. So stick around if you don't mind. I've got a couple of uh, invitations for you here. But I uh, wanted to end on a high note. Wanted to end, I mean, this mm-hmm. whole thing's been a high note, but let's let's just talk about what gets you personally up in the morning. What's your motivation? What's your hope? What keeps them feet moving one foot after another? Yeah, I. You know, again, like perspective things, but I've, you know, I've spent the last number of years working so hard to like get past myself in as many ways as I can, realizing that's an ongoing process and just live from a place of service and live from a place where I can, you know, like feel love, which is a force that calls us to a highest version of myself or of ourselves. And most to the point, interact with others in that way coming from that place and so you know like i have this book that's coming out um that's one thing that i've been working on i have clients i work with mostly men that's a process of like you know healing your past coming to know yourself and most importantly not thinking so much about healing but really thinking about how do i get life right how do i align with myself and then how do i go out and thrive healing and dealing with your past is going to happen in that process regardless um, but I, I love that work. It really excites me. It's a ton of fun. Um, you don't do anything to people, but you just facilitate their ability to go do everything inside of their cells. And it's awesome. Um, and then I love cold water. I live next to Barton Springs. I swim all the time. I go to the mountains and fly fish for a month or two every summer. Um, I stay at water. Beautiful, man. Well, uh, love is not the answer. And all the ways to find Mr. Scott Mackey are going to be located down below. Not thank you enough, is banger. Banger. Thank you. Yeah, I loved being here. Truly a different conversation, and I like that. Shout out to Scott Mackey for coming by and hanging out with us. All of the ways to find him, his book, Love Is Not The Answer, as well as his website and Instagram are going to be located down in the show description down there. Now, also, we had a little bit of an afterthought after this conversation. He asked me a few questions. We went a little deeper than we did in the episode. And if you want to check that out, there's a link below that will allow you into the value exchange part of this show, which is over on Patreon. Now, we're doing hangouts over there. Highly recommend you guys sign up to support your favorite show and get access to uh, hanging out with us and guys like Scott and all kinds of cool shit going on over there. So check that out in the link below. Also would like to point your attention to expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's where links to all the socials and everything else like that can be found. But also it's where we're hosting our publishing houses, books and journals and things like that too. The Expanding Reality Handbook, the journals, all of it's over there. And also we have our events page being hosted there as well. All of it's just one place, one-stop shop, guys. Super convenient. Now, that event is going to be our befriending Bigfoot event in May in Blairsville, Georgia. This thing is going to take place May 15th through the 20th. 
and it's going to feature amazing presenters, hikes, kayaking, uh, the museum out there. We are have we this place is like a 26 acre ranch or something like that that we have that's incredible, guys. So highly recommend that you check this out. Check the show description for a better description than I just gave uh, for the link to the events page over there, and it'll have all the details. Tickets are absolutely available. Uh, various options over there, so check that thing out for damn sure. Just wanted to send you guys out into this beautiful, beautiful place, whatever the hell this thing is, and uh, to remind you to pick up a piece of litter. Be nice to everybody you come across. Get the fuck out of the left-hand lane. And y'all just go out there. Be good to one another. Love you all. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.